Now, as always, there's no holding back with how you feel. You're all very honest with us, and that's why we love you. We chucked a cheeky poll up on the gram after an official poll found New Zealanders are crunchy peanut butter fans versus smooth. A solid 61% of you are crunchy fans as well. But here's what I found the most interesting. In the official poll, 27% of people said they'd take whatever was going. Didn't matter if it was smooth or crunchy, they'd, they'd eat it. And that's the category I fit in. But only 7% of you in our poll said they'd have whatever. And I love that because you're signalling that you know what you want and you're not afraid to set boundaries, peanut butter related or not. Thanks as always for playing the game. Uh, always fun. Kia ora. This is Newsable. I'm Imogen and this is what's worth talking about. Does the National Party have it in for road cones? Why reducing the number of them on our streets is forming part of its policies. Why what you wear could become a bone of contention in China. The New Zealand police are ditching pen and paper and going full tech. But will there be major data breach concerns now they're using apps instead of notebooks? And good news for all you film and telly show watchers, it looks like the Writers Guild of America has reached a tentative agreement with producers. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. The National Party has announced some transport policy and, slightly intriguingly, uh, road cones are a feature. Mostly the policy focuses on speed limits and pushing some back up where they've been reduced. Some state highways had speed limits moved to 80 kilometres per hour down from 100. But the bit about the road cones really caught my eye. The National Party is promising it will put in the mahi to reduce the number of orange witches hats that are often a major feature on our roads these days. And here to answer why this is forming part of their policy is the party's transport spokesperson, Simeon Brown. Kia ora, welcome to Newsable. Hello, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you going? Very well, thanks for having me. Why do you hate road cones? Well, look, I think the issue here is um, what Kiwi are seeing is more and more road cones on the road and the frustration that they're becoming more prevalent when oftentimes work isn't being done, and also the cost that these are imposing. For example, Auckland Council earlier this year stated that entire council spending about $145 million a year on temporary traffic management. We're not saying we should do away with them because they do play a really important role in keeping road workers safe, but we need to look at seeing if we can do it better to try and reduce some of the cost and some of the imposition it has on motorists. What was it that specifically inspired this part of the policy? I'm just trying to understand why, if National should be in government, there'd be government policy around road cones. It does seem a little bit strange. Well, there already is government policy around road cones. Uh, So NZTA has a a policy which Mm -hmm. basically sets the road cone policies for local councils and that which they use on the roads themselves. It's called the New Zealand Guide to Temporary Traffic Management. It's actually just been out for consultation. They're currently implementing a new code. And what we're hearing from people is that temporary traffic management has become too prevalent in terms of you travel down a road, there'll be road cones everywhere, no work's being done, and the actual works might be on a side street. You say you'd get NZTA to investigate financial incentive framework to reduce the reliance on cones. What does that mean and what do you think that might end up looking like? So a lot of other countries or uh, do this. So when um, someone applies to NZTA or to 
council to be able to do some works on the roads. So, for example, if you're replacing your driveway, you'll need to get a um, you need to get approval to be able to put temporary traffic management in place. What we're suggesting there is, if you get that approval and you take longer than you said you would, um, there may be some disincentives put in place to encourage the contractors to work as quickly as possible. So will you set a road cone target? No, we're not going to set a road cone target. I mean, ultimately, road cones do play a really important role in keeping road workers safe. What do you say to all the students whose favourite pastime is stealing road cones after a big night out? Um, Are you well, sorry? Are you sorry that you'll be taking their road cones away, well, Simeon? I, I I don't condone theft. Uh, they do belong to some road cone company somewhere. Um, so I suggest they just leave them on the road. Have you ever taken a road cone? I've never taken a road cone <laughs> that I can recall. Simeon Brown, National Party's Transport Spokesperson, thank you very much for joining me and good luck out there if you're a road cone. (laughs) Thank you. I'm not a road cone, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck to all the road cones. Explaining why Chinese authorities want to control what people can and can't wear is just a second away, I promise. But here's your friendly reminder to chuck us a like and follow on your favourite podcast platform. It'll help other people find us. You know, it's not just proposed rules over road cones that has struck me a bit odd. Media reports have surfaced about suggested controls in China over what people wear. Now, we're not talking about obscene or inappropriate clothing, and it isn't even a case of togs, 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 undies, 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 undies. Instead, the National People's Congress has published a piece of draft legislation to ban clothing deemed detrimental to the spirit of the Chinese people. That's a direct quote, and another direct quote that hurts the feelings of the Chinese people. So what's going on here? Producer Philippa has been reading up on this. PT, why is this happening? Well, in recent times, the Chinese authorities have taken steps to clamp down on quite a few aspects of citizens' lives. For example, many social media we live with every day, those platforms aren't accessible in China. But now the Washington Post has been writing about how this might extend to clothing, and in particular, there's been concern about people dressing in anything that shouts Japan. The news site says in one example, a woman was detained by police for wearing a Japanese kimono. She was accused of picking quarrels and provoking trouble. Are there any other types of clothing that are sparking that kind of reaction from authorities? It just seems so bizarre. Well, this reaction has to be seen in the light of the two nations' history of conflict. Between 1937 and 1945, they were at war. So for hardline nationalists in China react badly to pro-Japanese activities, such as, for example, you know that trend in cosplay where people dress up Uh as Japanese anime characters? But it appears to be a bit wider than this. Look, even concertgoers and students have been targeted by authorities for wearing rainbow images on their clothing or handing out rainbow flags in solidarity with the LGBTQ plus community. And Chinese leaders have also embarked on a recent campaign against teenagers sporting tattoos or men wearing feminine attire. And I think that's a bit of a reaction there to K-pop. How difficult will this be to enforce if it actually becomes law? Detrimental to the Chinese spirit in inverted commas seems a little bit tricky to me to tie down. 
Yeah, just a bit tricky, don't you think? Uh, many commentators agree the Times of India is quoting an academic in China as saying the proposals would lead to what he said was too vague a standard of punishment that could easily lead to arbitrary expansion. And there isn't any definition of what those clothes are that hurt people's feelings, in quote. And that vagueness could actually give police powers to detain, well, just about anybody. What is clear, though, is the proposed punishment. It's suggested that anyone caught sporting such offensive clothing could be subject to a fine of as much as a 1000 New Zealand dollars and up to 15 days in jail. Wow. Watch what you wear. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. After Wales's spectacular performance, smashing Australia, absolutely no bias here of course, and it being now all but certain the Aussies aren't making it out of this Rugby World Cup pool stage, I want to know who you think is going to win the Rugby World Cup. Get in touch, search Newsable NZ on TikTok or Insta, we'll chuck a poll up. And if you also want to talk me through your workings on who you think will win, flick us an email, newsable at stuff.co.nz. New Zealand police are entering the digital age. Kiwi cops are saying goodbye to the pen and paper and shifting to a digital notebook instead. You know those ones on Law and Order SVU or CSI where the investigators are always jotting down things people say to them? Well... Here in Aotearoa, those notebooks are going to be replaced by an app. But will they be safe from data breaches? Deputy Commissioner of Operational Services Jevin McSkimming is with me now to tell me. Kia ora, Jevin. Welcome to Newsable. Thanks for having me. Why the shift? Is this because police have really bad handwriting? Well, we made this shift about nine years ago. So we entered the digital age when we introduced mobile devices um, about nine or ten years ago. And this is a in addition to a series of apps that we have now been running for a long period of time. Where does all this information get stored? In terms of the place that we store it, it's the same place that we would store all that road policing information that we've had. The iOS platform is a really secure platform and it's in fact why that we went to Apple in the first place um, to run our digital app platform across. It's a very secure, it's got good backing from Apple and our designers in terms of that, it's all native natively built with our partners. And Jevin, how do you monitor and make sure uh, there's no data breaches, not just in notes stolen, but things like notes getting accessed, altered, and then potentially compromised notes then being needed to be used in court? So evidential sufficiency relies on the fact that the notes are reliable, and there's been routine and a standard practice about how our officers they record what goes in their notebook and then secure their notebook so that if it's ever required to be called upon in an evidential way that that can be relied on by the court. All those same learnings and same practices have been built into the design of this app. So our very new officers get taught those skills and how to do it. We've built that capability into the app. So while frontline officers will now have the knowledge that's also so protected in the app, so we record everything that's done in the app. 
all the metadata that's in relation to those records is also tracked so that erasures, changes are tracked. Um, all the information that the officer makes, whether it's photos or video evidence, all gets tracked in the app now as well in terms of a digital notebook. It's going to be a game changer for frontline officers. You've got plenty of layers of protection there. Right, and the courts will be able to see all of those layers in terms of the protections just like they could in a, in a hard-written paper form. And in fact, it'll be better for the courts so that really all that information will be trackable in, in a digital evidence platform. And you trialled this uh, particular process in the central district, for those unfamiliar, that's around Taranaki, Ruapehu, Otaki, Tararua Ranges areas. What was the feedback from staff there? Is this something that cops got behind? Yeah, it takes a bit of getting used to, to be honest. Like all change, um, some people sort of swim with it and others find it more difficult. I think it's probably people like me that are in there sort of late 40s, early 50s that find these changes are a little bit more difficult and move away from the status quo. But what we're getting in terms of the feedback, anecdotal feedback from our officers, they're really enjoying the change. Did you get any public feedback on this as well? One of the things that we're trying to build in is to make sure that we're compliant with the privacy regulations and work with the privacy commissioner on these types of things. But really, this is a current capability brought into a digital world, this is not something new. Officers have been recording this type of information for millennia. The money spent setting this up hasn't been taken away from frontline services. Correct. We've budgeted this in now for probably 15 years as we've gone mobile. What we're not doing is spending money on paperwork and reprinting paperwork. We're investing into digital technologies. Deputy Commissioner Jevin McSkimming, thank you so much for your time and good luck this week. Uh, as I understand it, that new process is being rolled out from today in Central District, formally. Great, thanks for having me. And some good news to round everything out. The Writers Guild of America has signed a tentative agreement with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers after five months. Five months or 146 days of strike action. So I'm calling on friend of Newsable, who we actually haven't heard from in a while because he's been gallivanting around Europe, much to my dismay. Had to block you on Instagram, I'll be honest. Johnny Manheap, welcome back. What do we know about this agreement that's been reached? Well, nice to be back, Imogen. Thank you. And to come back to good news like this, that Hollywood is resuming business. That is just the collective sigh from producers everywhere that you can hear right now that we're back after five months. Um, the very protracted and internecine Writers Guild of America strike is now over. They've been at the negotiation table for five days. This was a very kind of an inflection point for the movement. Uh, the writers' strike has been struggling to meet the studios on three points, which are the use of AI, a fair pay agreement, and writing staff room levels. And the WGA said in their statement that they've reached an exceptional agreement with meaningful gains and protections of writers in every sector of the membership. So it's a great outcome and something of a surprising one after the really vociferous uh, negotiations that we've had. Remind me what the writers were after again. So this has not come at any small cost to the industry and not at any kind of... Um, you know, lack of consideration on behalf of the writers. It's cost the industry $5 billion estimated across California since the strike began. Um, and like any crisis, it came after years, really, of inflection for the industry. So after it was exposed that low rates of residuals that writers were earning from streaming shows and from studios now, and after there was no protection in existing contracts for use of AI, so the use of things like ChatGPT to, to generate, you know, future um, episodes mm. of shows that writers were working on, 
they thought we've had enough. There are no existing mm. protections. We need to go harder and we need to safeguard the next generation of writers. Just to keep everyone up to speed, definitely not because I don't know. Uh, what are residuals? What are you talking about when you say residuals? So the network TV, you might have something like CSI. And every time an episode of CSI airs, that charming detective who plays the lead role will get a residual check in the post for whatever amount, whatever his cut is from the network, getting right. paid to stream it again globally. Residuals don't really exist in the streaming world because we just stream it to our heart's content without there being any new advertisers and without us necessarily knowing what the oh. studio is paid for that distribution. And so this is allowing for a whole new revenue stream for those writers and for those actors who often on the day of production just get paid the guild's salary. So they might just be getting paid $20 an hour if they're a starter. Um, and then if the show goes on to become a you know number one worldwide success, they see no more money. And we've seen this sure. from stars of Orange is the New Black and Squid Game who have spoken out. Um, both writers and actors, and this really changes the game for them. But this might not be the end, right, because the actors are also striking? Yes, it's not over yet. So the WGA said in their statement today, please go down the road and join the actors on their current picket line (laughs) uh, because that's not over yet. And there's another issue I think that's arisen from this, which is the issue of scabbing that happened during the crisis. So you had a few Hollywood sweethearts like Jennifer Hudson and Drew Barrymore who crossed the picket line. And I think it might take a little while for these kind of beloved industry figures to, you know, scrub away that sour taste that was left in the mouths of many writers and many actors. You're referring, of course, to Drew Barrymore uh, announcing she was restarting the show despite, I believe it's two, officially it was two of her writers were on the picket line and then she doubled down on the reboot and then said, actually, yeah, whoopsies, maybe I'm not going to do that. Anyway, maybe she now has something to celebrate uh, after all that public backlash. But on that yes. note, Johnny, thanks for your time. That is Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. Matewa. Was this episode of Newsable usable? Then back NZ News by making a financial contribution at stuff.co.nz support.